Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Newman, Associate Editor. Solving the soil health puzzle, lacrosse seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse seed delivers quality, soil-first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. So whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil-first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com. Or call 800-356-C. Our journey takes us to West Central Illinois, where we find fifth-generation farmer Andrew Russell hard at work, wrapping up another long day of planting. Now, his family's been experimenting with cover crops since the 1970s. He's a true cover crop enthusiast. Over the past several years, He's tried about 30 different species. On this edition of the podcast, Andrew takes us inside his shotgun blast approach to planting covers and which ones have earned a spot in his consistent rotation alongside corn and soybeans. Andrew's family also recently took part in a scientific study on the impact of cover crops. He'll share with us the eye-opening takeaways. You haven't been getting a lot of sleep the past few nights, right? You've been really busy planning. How's that going? Oh, it goes good until you break down. So it's not how uh, how fast you go or how many acres you cover. It's how many times you stop when it comes to planting and combining. And so we've had a few few breakdowns, and that slows everything up. But other than that, the actual act of planting is going good. <laughs> yeah, you told me you just did back-to-back. 20 hour days or something like that. That is, I don't even know how you're awake right now. And kudos to you for even being able to do this podcast right now. Cause you, you have not gotten much sleep. Yeah, I have uh, I did a 20 hour day followed by a 20 hour day, followed by a 28 hour day. I took a little bit of a nap and then um, we're back at it trying to finish. Uh, I'm trying to finish my last 80 here of my priority list before it rains this evening. So I'll sleep after it rains. Now, are you a big coffee drinker? Because I don't know how you have this energy. It's pretty impressive. Well, I have to be honest. I did just finish my third cup of coffee of the day. (laughs) Wow, that's impressive. I only had two, so you've got me beat so far. People not familiar with your operation, Andrew, just kind of give us your background, where you're located, and just kind of the basics of Andrew Russell's operation. I'm over here near Golden, Illinois. It's in West Central. Illinois, between the Illinois and the Mississippi rivers, um, we have very much high variation of uh, different types of soil types. We farm everything from white timber dirt slash old reclaimed strip mines to flat black muck, poor, poor drainage, and everything in between. Um, And so... Yeah, I farm with my dad. Uh, we farm corn and soybeans over here. I believe I'm the fifth generation uh, at our house there. And so uh, my grandpa got really big into cover crops a long time ago in like in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, with cover crops and no-till, they got into it and then had a couple roadblocks and then made some changes and then kind of got away with away from it. And then kind of got back into it and so um then kind of 
had some hiccups or whatever and got back away from it. And so my dad and my grandpa had been flirting and playing with cover crops and no-till and minimal tillage um, pretty much since the 80s, uh, but never really fully committed to more than a decade straight. And so when I got back to the farm, uh, we took this cover crop thing and really ran with the cover crop. And so we've been doing, oh, various levels of cover crops for about the last decade my dad and I have. And how many species of cover crops do you have growing right now? Um, I'm currently planting a field right now. I'm planting soybeans into some fall-seeded cereal rye. Uh, but I'm also looking at annual ryegrass that was interseeded into that corn stalks that year. So that's two species that are growing. <clears throat> There's some red clover that was there from the year before. I see some barley from the year before. There's a lot of volunteers in here from the last three or four years of free seed for me so that's kind of nice but when it comes to cover crops ahead of soybeans you really can't go wrong with cereal rye and it's been that way for for a decade for us sometimes we play with other species depending on when we get it into the when we interseed it into the corn and sometimes we only get it out there broadcast behind planting and so then it's usually just cereal rye but Ahead of corn, we do a lot of annual ryegrass, um, which is a completely different ball game. And I don't know, I might, I used to do a whole lot of different variations of species, um, but kind of like a shotgun blast approach of everything. And now I feel like these days with the prices, um, getting to be a little bit more simpler <laughs> uh just about three or four species each just kind of throw it out there and hope for the best because i know they'll work yeah i mean how much have they helped you reduce inputs when planting corn and soybeans yeah in the beginning i really didn't have any way to measure that so we were weren't reducing anything in the beginning um we were just watching how the soil changed but since i started taking biomass samples um, and trying to figure out the rate of decomposition and how that nutrients are moving and how much we have and and Haney, Haney samples, Haney soil, te- uh, Haney soil tests. And so we've been trying to monitor it and give some sort of numbers. And then, then I just realized it's all weather-based <laughs> about how those nutrients cycle. You kind of use your best judgment, but I would say that we use a whole lot less fertilizer, um, especially dry fertilizer, than than the average Illinois farmer. Um, whether that's good or bad yet, we don't know. Um, it's been almost seven or eight years of no phosphorus on some farms, and haven't seen much of a haven't seen any difference on our soil tests. And so I don't know. It's just still stuff that we are really trying to figure out and i don't know if i'll ever get figured out would you say that you guys are kind of unique out there in your region of the state in terms of your cover crop usage are you seeing more 
farmers in Illinois uh, adopt similar practices to what you're using right now? So it's really easy to be on a farm and have blinders on and feel like you're on your own island, um, especially when all your neighbors are mostly full tillage. But it's been fun because so like West Central Illinois has a lot more rolling hills than what I would consider Central Illinois. And so you see, you might see the adaption here in this area a little bit, uh, a little bit sooner because of that. People are trying to get for the erosion control, but also the livestock. Uh, people are using them for livestock uh, uses as well. And so it's been fun watching fields kind of turn green and that has never been green before. And you're like, is that wheat or is that a cover crop? Like, what's going on over there? But I would say that it's very, very slow adaption, but more and more and more every year, I see maybe an extra couple fields that uh, that I've never seen before in my very small little region. And so that's kind of fun. It's fun to see. Yeah, I saw that you joined the uh, Soil Health Partnership in 2017. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. That was a program that was done with the um, Illinois Corn Growers Association, uh, where we tried to do a research study. It was supposed to be a five-year study uh, where we did strip trials of cover crop versus no-till, um, trying to determine economic data. That was really interesting. I don't know. Trial work gets pretty monotonous or pretty annoying when you're trying to go, 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 go. Uh, to have to stop and weigh and do weigh wagons and, and, and take all this data. But at the same time, it showed us um, uh, showed us a lot of really cool things. One thing that they kept saying is, you know, oh, you're having anywhere between a five to nine bushel increase of yield on the cover crop versus the no-till. And that was after five years. And I was like, yeah, I could have told you that. Um, I could see that every year. But to have that actual data backed by somebody, that was really interesting. Um, but I think what took it for me was the entomology. They had an entomologist come out from the University of Illinois. And he did a whole bunch of different sticky traps, fly traps, and dug pits, and um, took all this data. And I think what my biggest eye-opening from all that was in the no-till, it was like 50% of the, the insects that he collected were pests, and 50% were beneficial. Wow. Um, and then in the cover crop, and it was just a monocultural cereal rye crop. And at the time of the test, that were taken it was not a very good stand of cereal rye um it wasn't like big biomass that you see um at this time and so the cereal rye was maybe about a foot tall and it was 80 percent of the insects inside of that cereal rye were beneficial and then 20 percent were non-beneficial i'm like it's something so little you know, something so little, so minuscule, one tiny little baby variable through, uh, changed that data so much. And that was, that was one of those things is like, oh, there's so much more to this than what I see with my soil, what I can feel with my soil, what I can smell with my soil, right? There's even more to this because the bugs are reacting to it. 
Um, I don't know. That was just one of those pieces of data that I was like, I really was happy that I saw. So that was really fun and interesting. Oh yeah. That, that is very interesting. I mean, 80% beneficial. That, that's eye opening. You, you, no way you could have been expecting it to be that high. Yeah. Especially on, on a cereal rye crop, a monocultural cereal rye crop that was only like a foot tall. Um, so yeah, I was, I didn't think that there'd be any difference at all. There just didn't. I didn't expect that one. So, so that's one big benefit you've seen from the usage of cover crops. Any other benefits come to mind? Oh uh, well, farmers always want to know about the economical data. Um, so they kept they 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 proved the five bushel. I always thought we had about five bushel, but they proved anywhere between five and nine bushel. So, um, and they also proved that it got better over time. Right, like so. Year one was was uh, you know just was a few bushels increase. Year two was a better increase. But by the time you we were by the time we were on year four, when the program ended, they were saying it was a nine bushel increase. So it was fun to kind of watch that that kind of climb. Now I'm sure it will plateau off until we have to change some management strategies to get it to increase again. But I think farmers always want that economical data, and that's what they're always craving for, that hard evidence. Back to the podcast in just a second, but once again, let's thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle? Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil-first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. So whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local Soil First dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com, or call 800-356-SEED. Now, back to the podcast. So you said it took a little bit of time. Is that some advice maybe you'd offer to a farmer looking to get started with cover crops that you don't necessarily see the benefits overnight that it requires a little bit of patience and trial and error. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was, uh, I, I was, when I got back to the farm and I saw the benefits of the cover crop, I jumped in whole hog and never looked back. And I probably jumped a little too far, <laughs> uh, and a little too fast because I definitely had a lot of growing pains, um, with some things, um, kind of got my neck cut a few times, but that was all part of the learning experience too. And that's probably why I learned so much so fast, but it is, it is definitely nothing that I would advise anybody else to do. I would never advise anyone to just go whole hog and, and, um, jump at it and, and get as motivated about it as I was is, is be patient, watch it, understand it and then obviously adapt it over time and, and continue to learn from it, right? Like, So I think that's one of the coolest things is to go into a field that has had cover crops and minimal tillage for the most amount of time and be out there walking it, looking around, seeing what the soil conditions are like, you know, obviously to be planting here this spring, but that ground is just rich, earthy aroma when you pull up when you pull up um, a cereal rye plant and to see what that moisture looks like. And so, and to have earthworms in there nonstop, but that rich earthy aroma 
um, of that of that ground was something that had been lacking. You know, it's kind of been a little stale smelling in the past. So you have to see all these little benefits and they all add up to something big over time. But yeah, slow and steady wins the race, I guess. And I remember you said that your your dad and your grandpa, they would experiment with cover crops. So maybe they'd, they'd start and stop. And, and what's the longest they ever went with sticking with it? I mean, have you stuck with it longer than they have? My grandpa tried no-till corn before there was any support for no-till corn uh, in the 80s, and he got bit. And so then they decided that they were going to do no-till and cover crops. Well, they did it in the 90s, and in the 90s it was super wet. And so then they would – it was like three years in a row over here in the early 90s. It was really wet. And then they just had issue after issue after issue. Um, And so then they they quit. but we actually, I would say that dad has had a field of cover crop um, probably the longest, even if we worked the cover crop into the ground, um, you know, like several years ago. Um, but dad's probably got the longest field. It was a, We have a, a farm that has deer hunter on it, and the deer hunter wanted radishes. Uh, and so we had radishes on farms from 2000 and oh when was hurricane katrina that hit new orleans oh that would have been seven-ish 2005 2006 i want to say sometime around then yeah okay so 2006 so we've had radishes on one farm since 2005 um time frame but again we didn't know what we were doing way back then because there wasn't support for this stuff either and we were putting on six pounds of radishes an acre and be like, this is awesome. But we were, we were sitting in that, our soil backwards because we didn't have any carbon in that cover crop mix either. So anyway, that's, again, you, you got to keep messing with stuff and you got to keep learning. You got to keep talking to people. Um, and you got to keep trying things and you got to keep observing and studying this. So this isn't a one size fit all. It isn't a one year fit all. There's obviously slots that things work really well, obviously cereal rye in front of soybeans, but there's just more to it, to these cover crops than, than just throwing it out there um, and then just letting it do its thing and then walking away from it. But And I don't know if we will grasp that whole understanding within our lifetime. Maybe we will, maybe we won't, but it's, it's still pretty fun. Well, speaking of that, of studying and having fun, are there any new uh, cover crop cocktails, as you would say, that, you, that you're that you experimenting with this year or maybe you're thinking of in the near future? I really started to kind of just fine-tune things down to what I would call like a broad acre aspect, uh, something that I can spread out and do um, about, you know, 800 acres, um, which has been, for me, has been... I call it Seagram seven and seven, but it's a, it's seven pounds of cereal rye or seven pounds of barley and seven pounds of annual ryegrass. Um, depending on the year, the timing and the price, I'll add crimson clover and some rapeseed into it. And then I've been putting that into a twin row, a twin row situation and drilling it and then being able to come in and strip till corn. Um, that's kind of been my go-to in front of corn, uh, for the last couple of years, kind of fine tuning that in 
It gives me the cover crop, not too much biomass that I have to work with in case if it gets wet. Um, but I'm still getting some good, good uh, action going on. And then cereal right in front of beans. Those have just kind of been some things that are obviously the, uh, the go, my kind of been my go-to standards. Now we also have acres that we play on. And when we play, I mean, it's, it is full on just, uh, it is a shotgun blast. And those species can, I could plant, you know, 30 species no big deal because I'm just watching and observing what works, what works on the high ground, what works on the low ground, what works, why is it thicker on the high ground? Why is it thicker on the low ground? Um, and their interactions together. And so when we have a lot of variable, a variable ground, right, there's never a one size fit all. So, well, speaking of those, I'm more of a shotgun blast, man. <laughs> well, those grounds that you, that you say you play with, off the top of your head, I might be putting it on the spot here, but any um, any revelation off the top of your head that you could think of, something that you learn just from experimenting with different species or different trials? Well, I've learned to try to make mixes with wet feet and dry feet. Um, you know, plants that like wet feet and plants that like dry feet, because I don't know what the weather's going to do. And when you got hills and haulers all in the same pass, I would rather, instead of having a perfectly uniform-looking field of, of a cover crop field, I would rather the species reflect uh, my soils and, and start changing them instead of having that picture-perfect, just beautiful field. So, um, obviously, I think a lot of people know that cereal rye doesn't do well in wet with wet feet. Um, and we've had some pretty wet springs over the last several years. And so, you know, I don't want a picture perfect field of cereal rye when, and then it drown out in my wet spots. So barley has seemed to handle the wet feet a little bit better, depending on if I can get it in earlier. Um, you know, wheat has also kind of withstand the wet feet a little bit better than the rye as well. Um, but those aren't my favorite cover crops, right? They're not, they're not near as good as cereal rye for what I was looking for, for that biomass and for the root structure. But to have that other stuff in there, um, it really flourishes. It, that, um, barley and the, the wheat would really take off. And at least I have a stand where my ground is really poor drainage. So it's still working. Well, Andrew, for a guy who hasn't gotten much sleep, you're pretty sharp. This has been a great interview. I really appreciate the time. And anything else you want to add uh, or tell our audience about before we let you go? I would say the most important thing when it comes to cover crops is to find people that you trust to seek their advice. And that person doesn't have to be local. And so you just have to, to find people that have experience and then that you can then turn around and tailor it back to what your purpose and what your goal is. So don't just take blatant advice over the internet. Uh, there's a lot of people that have had experience, but they can't, uh, they can't share it or spread it or change it to their own. Uh, oh, shoot. Got a bump that I didn't know about. One other thing about cover crops, man. <laughs> You have cover crops out of your field, and then you have a little bump, and you forget about it because you can't see it when the cereal rise three foot tall. 
This is an action-packed podcast. I like it. Uh, I forgot <laughs> that I cut that drainage ditch right there. But, yeah, no, it's you got to tailor everything back to your own farm and to your own goals and to your own mindset. And there's a lot of people that can't do that. And so you got to seek advice from people that, that can help you in that regard. So um, everyone has two cents to give you in terms of advice, but that's all it's worth. You've got to be able to take it home, tailor it, and make it work for you. Um, and this stuff doesn't have to be hard. It's really easy. Uh, you just, it's all about mindset change. And so I guess that would be my advice um, is take it home, tailor it to you, get seek good advice from others. And then also that advice that you're seeking from others is keep them in the loop with what's going on. Those guys could be your support group um, in terms of working things out because there's a lot of people that will make this sound like it is uh, the silver bullet, right? And it, there is no silver bullets. There's just a new management trial. And so you, this stuff comes and it's hard. There's things that you have to learn. There's things that you have to adjust. Um, and it can be tough. And so you need people there that have been through there, that have the experience to help you go through all those different stages of uncertainty. Well, great stuff, Andrew. That's some really good advice there. I tell you what, next time in, I'm in Illinois, I don't know when it will be, but I'll swing by and bring you a cup of coffee if I'm in the area. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be done planting by then and it won't be rained out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you never know with Illinois weather. I know it gets pretty crazy over there. So it's got a mind of its own. Thanks to Andrew Russell for joining us this week. And before we go, let's once again thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. So whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at soilfirst.com. That's soil1st.com or call 800 356 seed. Thank you so much for being with us this week. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And remember, until next time, for all things cover crops, head to covercropstrategies.com.